before we start, can we just say a quick prayer? Yeah, of course. Yeah? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, O Lord, for this time that we are together and doing your work, O Lord. I thank you for blessing Henry and his wife with this brilliant idea to showcase your children who are from the diaspora and who are doing your work, O Lord, in different countries. God, I pray that you continue to bless them, O God, and continue to bring people their ways and also that these audio clips would inspire people. Father, I pray that you're in our conversation. Oh God, guide the conversation so that things that will inspire people are actually the things that we discuss. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. You know how you know how in Nigeria you can't start a meeting without prayer. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very important. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, but I I really appreciate that. I didn't think about it, but uh, I really welcome that. All right. Uh, hello and welcome to Diaspora, a show where Henry and Laura have in-depth conversations with successful immigrants. Diaspora guests are from all over the world and have various professional backgrounds. Our conversation today is with a very, very special guest and uh, someone I'm proud to call my friend, Adejoke Babitan Ashai. Did I say that right? Yes, you're good. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, Joke is a Washington, D.C.-based international lawyer. She has a Bachelor of Law from the University of Birmingham and a postgraduate diploma from the Queen Mary University of London. And she has a Master's of Law from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Joke has forged a career in international law and is the editor and co-author of International Criminal Investigations, Law and Practice. Joke is also a singer and songwriter. In her music, Joke fuses her passion for social justice and music, singing in the DC All Women Social Justice a cappella group, Songwrites, which uses its music to inspire social change. Welcome, Joke. Thank you, and thank you for that wonderful summary of my life. My gosh, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, yeah, I'm impressed by myself. <laughs> okay, good. So, uh, tell us. Uh, how was it like growing up in Nigeria and Tanzania? So I grew up in both countries. I was in Nigeria from birth until 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I did my you know, nursery and primary school there. And then at the age of 10, my mom got a job in Tanzania wa- working with the Commonwealth Secretariat. Right. And so we shuttled off with her. And so I was in Tanzania from 10 until 15. And then at 15, we went back to Nigeria where I did my A-levels and then um, after that, did a little bit of university and then moved on to college in the UK. So growing up in Nigeria and Tanzania, how can I say this? So obviously, I love both. I, I, I feel like I rep both. But, you know, the Tanzanians may be like, all right, girl, you're not quite Tanzanian. But I really, really loved growing up in Tanzania, in TZ, as I fondly call it, in Dar es Salaam. And it was wonderful to be exposed to, you know, a completely different culture at such an early age and mixed in also with students. I went to international school, so mixing with students from different backgrounds was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. I, I really credit my time in um, Tanzania to sort of helping me, like forming my global mindset in a way. Right. And then, of course, growing up in Nigeria, I mean, you know, the saying, like, you know, everyone knows that Nigerians are hustlers. So I think growing up in Nigeria is just, it's, it's an amazing experience because you learn how to make the most of 
any kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a Nigerian in that sense, learning how to hustle at a young age, in a way, that kind of sets a great foundation, especially as someone living in the diaspora, just being able to not take things for granted when you finally have opportunities that come your way and also being willing to go for what you want. Uh, you know, right. Nigerians are known all over the world. In fact, there's a, a joke like, you know, there's probably a Nigerian on the moon that people don't know about, right? Because right. we are everywhere. <laughs> We're literally everywhere. And like, you know, hustling in different ways and, you know, hustling professionally, hustling, you know, in and, and making names for ourselves. And so there's something... I think it must be in the water that we drink from an early age or something that puts that drive in us. And so I, I really credit the opportunity to have grown up in two you know, different cultures, mm-hmm. different cult- uh, countries for who I am today. Oh, amazing. So how long were you in Tanzania? Yeah, so I was in Tanzania from 1992 until 1997. And I went to the International School of Tangayika. Mm-hmm. Okay, 1992 to 1997. And after yeah. that, you moved back to Nigeria? Yes, so after that, I was back in Nigeria for about a year and a half. So I did my A-levels and then started with the University of Lagos, mm-hmm. my undergraduate degree in law. But I was there for only three months. After which I then moved to London, um, not London, the University of Buckingham in Buckinghamshire, which is between Oxford and Cambridge. And when you were in high school in both Nigeria and uh, Tanzania, did you have extracurricular activities? So high school was in Tanzania, right? And uh, yes, I did. So I was an athlete. I loved to run. I, I did pretty much all track and field, actually. Just because I loved it, it, there was something about, you know, running and sprinting and doing all these physical activities that just really made me feel kind of, I guess, invincible in a way. Mm-hmm. And then also theater. I loved, loved drama class. That right. was my absolute favorite. And the honest truth is, so even though I'm a lawyer today, mm-hmm. growing up, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a movie director. I wanted to be a theater director. I wanted to do everything with the art. and performing arts and expression and so I actually I remember sitting with my mom and going through some brochures from the University of Cumbria which is a university in the UK that you know concerned performing arts and you know my mom was like all right if that's what you want to do but you know I don't know whether to generalize and say African parents but certainly (laughs) Nigerian parents Niger parents were like you know what listen mm, here are your options law medicine, (laughs) engineering, accounting, you know, that kind of stuff, because the perception is, you know, you, you, for your child to do well, they have to do certain kinds of professions, right? So Mm -hmm. at that time, you know, that generation, the perception is like, you know, for your child to do well, they should either be a lawyer, uh, a doctor, because those were traditional professions that are established and are guaranteed in theory, for your child to to do well. So it all stems from a desire by the parents for their child to, you know, to to, to do well. Every every parent wants to see their child do well. Right, right. And so even though my mom was like, you know, I encourage you, you know, to do these things as a hobby, but your career (laughs) really should be something else, child. 
And so I remember actually when I was in Tanzania, falling in love with the O.J. Simpson trial. It's so crazy to say this and the fact that this is going on public record. Right. But I totally fell in love with the O.J. Simpson trial, uh-huh. particularly with Johnny Cochran, when just the way he was defending his client, and he's like, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Like, wow, this That's guy right. was amazing. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, if I have to do any of these quote-unquote traditional career paths, mm-hmm. I, I can do law because, you know, I, I thought earlier on in my life, I thought, okay, maybe I'll be a doctor, but I was petrified of blood and that wouldn't have made any sense right. uh, to be a doctor and you're always passing out when your patients come to you. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I can do this law stuff. So that's kind of like how I got into, into law. That's interesting because when you mentioned earlier African parents, I think they're all the same. I remember when yeah. I was a kid, uh, I wanted to be a soccer player. In high school, I would play on the high school team. And then I would keep telling my dad, hey, I want to be a soccer player. So after I graduated from high school, he said, I think we need to talk. Oh, no. Yeah. He said, this soccer thing, yeah, you could do it, but you need a career. So go to school. And then if you can do both, fine. But yeah, I just wanted to... <laughs> say that yeah they're they're all the same yeah but you know it's like that pressure though i mean i'm i'm now of a mindset that it's important to let people do what they're passionate about Mm -hmm. because you know we're all here on this earth for a reason and for a season and so why why spend that time doing something that you're not passionate about why spend that time fulfilling somebody else's dreams right right you know so I, i mean there are ways to get around it you know if if in the end, you know, you're a lawyer now, I'm a lawyer too, mm-hmm. and I think that we've picked aspects of law that we like, right? Exactly. Because for me, when I started off in law, honestly speaking, my plan after my undergraduate degree was to practice law for five years mm-hmm. and then quit. I was going <laughs> to quit because right. I, didn't, I didn't see my life in a law firm. Mm-hmm. I didn't see my life, you know, doing oil and gas, which is, again, every Nigerian parent's dream. Right. Um, <laughs> In a way, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerated, but, you know, it's like true, doing, true. <laughs> doing oil and gas law, like, wow, that's great. But that, that wasn't for me. And I would rather have poked my eyes out than to do commercial law. I mm-hmm. didn't care for that. Right. So I thought, all right, you know, if these are my options, then, okay, I'll get the law degree, qualify as a barrister, then, you know, practice for five years, and then go into theater. Mm-hmm. That was my plan. But when I was doing my master's, I then fell in love. This is all a story about falling in love. Right. Um, I, then, I then fell in love with public international law and human rights. Mm-hmm. And those were the topics that I ended up choosing. I, I don't think my dad was very excited about that. Right. Because he was like, wait a minute, I'm sending you to do your master's and now you do what, human rights? And international law. What is international law? You know, right. especially in this, you know, the, the situation with international politics, and international relations, and how law is sort of like disregarded. So he's like, "Why? Why are you doing this?" But I felt like, you know what? If I'm gonna stay in this thing, this is what I have to do. I have to do what what kind of you know will make me happy, and I'm excited to to do to do work on behalf of people, to try and help people and make people's lives better. And so that's what human rights was for me. And so in a way, I feel like at the end of the the, the moral of the story is like, even if you end up doing something that may not have been your first choice, first of all, don't lose sight of what your first choice is. So if it's theater or music like that is for me, you know, still find a way to do it. But even in the profession that you've chosen, that you've ended up, you know, doing, 
try to find something in it that makes you happy. And and if you really cannot, then, you know, do what makes what truly makes you happy because life is honestly too short. And right. you know, at the end of at the end of our lives, when we account for it, I'm not gonna be accounted for my mother's life. I'm not gonna be accounted for my father's life, for Henri's life. Mm-hmm. No, I'm gonna account for my life. That's and right. how I spent it, right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. So so be happy. <laughs> right, that's very true. I think uh, being happy and knowing exactly what you want to do is very important. Yeah. Right. So um, you were in Nigeria and then you moved to the UK. What made you move to the United Kingdom? And uh, how was it like then? I think jealousy made me move to the United <laughs> Kingdom. Um, I will lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, because, so I had started off in university in, in um, Lagos and my older sister, my older brother were both in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so I remember sort of bugging my dad, like, is it that you don't love me? <laughs> Why did you send the others there? And they're going to school there. And I'm here, like, you know, stupid. Right. Um, and then also at that time, there was always something happening in the universities. Maybe, you know, there'll be a strike or something like that, mm-hmm. that would mean that people ended up finishing their degrees a lot later than, you know, they should have. So, and so it was like, why do that when, for instance, with the University of Buckingham, I could be done in two years, actually, because the University of Buckingham was an accelerated process. Mm -hmm. So I could be done with my degree in two years. So that was sort of always looming over my mind strikes and you know different things happening that schools would be closed universities would be closed um at that time so that that the climate made it a bit difficult for people to really fully you know um get the experience and college experience that they wanted so my dad eventually was like all right fine you can you can go and so that's yeah that's what led to me going to the uk and how old were you at that time i was 16 oh wow that was really young yes Wow. And did you have any challenges when you got there? And sorry, also, when you were 16, you were already in college. Yes. So when I was 16, I had started already at the University of Lagos. Mm-hmm. Trying to remember now the, the timeline. And when I was 17, yes, I remember now. When I was 17 was when I moved to the UK, to the okay. University of Buckingham. Yeah. Okay. And was there, did you find any challenges when you moved to the UK at that age? And understand that your brother and sister were already there? Um, well, they helped immensely. Absolutely. It was wonderful to have siblings there and, you know, siblings or friends. Because, you know, when people move to different countries they can be hard mm-hmm. and so it does help that you you know people there but of course not everybody has that benefit to have someone already there also even though my sister had gone to the University of Buckingham she had of course already graduated by the time I was moving there right right um, and my brother was also in a completely different university so in the university itself I you know there were, were little pangs of loneliness and of course I remember you know my, I remember being on the plane, going there, and sitting in my my window seat and crying um, because I was like, oh, I'm going to miss my mom. Oh, I'm going to miss everyone. Like it, it was what I wanted, right. but still, I was sad. <laughs> and that's sort of like the story of life in a way. Sometimes you get what you want, and then you're sort of like sad because of what you're leaving behind. But right. at the same time, you're still very excited about the future, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember just sitting there crying, and this poor guy who was sitting next to me, this older man, he just, like, he didn't know what to do. He just kept looking at me. 
<laughs> like, oh, okay. And I remember when I used to call my mom. And this was back in the day when, you know, to make a phone call, you would get those scratch cards. And, you know, you had to go to a pay phone. No, what's up. Um, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I would call my mom in Nigeria. And I'll be like, I miss you so much. And then one day, my mom was like, Jockey, get yourself together. You're there for a reason. You're there for school. Right. Focus on your school. We're always here. Uh-huh. We love you. We support you. But focus on what you're there for. And that kind of helped. It did help to have someone be like, listen, be focused. You know mm-hmm. why you're here. You know, don't let homesickness, like, derail you. Right, right. Um, the university was great in terms of, again, because it was a, sort of like an international university, right? Because you have so many people coming from different parts of the world. Right. So it was great because a lot of other people were go, kind of going through what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was easy to make friends and, and yeah, and eventually, like, you know, get into the, the, the scheme of things. Plus, with a two-year degree, you don't really have time to be wasting, okay. <laughs> you know, like to, to be wasting crying, right? Because right. essentially we were doing in two years what other traditional universities will do in three years. Because oh, wow. in the UK to get a law degree is three years, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas we were doing that in two years. So oh, it, was <laughs> it was intensive. So when people had summer, we were in school and so on. But it was like, all right, be focused. You know why you're here. Focus on it. Get your degree. And then on to the next thing. Okay, okay. So how did you transition then from university to a career as a lawyer? Again, anything and everything, there's no magic wand. Like it's, Once I was done with my master's, I remember applying to many, because I went straight from my undergrad to mm-hmm. master's, right? So I applied to many, many, many law firms, again, because that was sort of the path that you're supposed to take. You go work in a law firm, do a mini pupillage, as it's called, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And then do your pupillage and all of that. So I applied to easily over 100 law firms. Wow. I think I probably got two, maybe three interviews. Mm -hmm. And I remember those interviews. Now, I mean, looking back, I'm like, even I would not have hired me. I was not even passionate right. <laughs> about the work. And it showed. It showed in my interviews. It showed that I wasn't particularly, you know, interested in doing this. And yeah. So again, it goes back to so like, you know, don't don't force yourself down a hole that you're not meant to fit. Like it's like put in a square peg in a round hole. It's not meant to fit in there. So don't force yourself mm-hmm. down that. And I was kind of forcing myself. So that was very stressful applying to those things. But eventually I applied to some NGOs and I got an NGO internship in New York, which is awesome. So mm-hmm. I went to New York and I was monitoring the third committee of the General Assembly, which focuses on human rights right. and um, humanitarian affairs and then I applied for an inter- um, an internship with the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and I got that, which is awesome. I got a chance to work with really amazing people. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, I just started like doing things more in the aspect of law that I was passionate about, so, like right. human rights, international law. Um, I went back home briefly, and I did a consultancy with an NGO-based uh, in Nigeria, looking into the violation of the rights of the Ogoni people in the Niger Delta region right. due to the oil spills and environmental disasters. And that was also really fascinating and rewarding work. 
And then I got a position with the Victims and Witnesses Unit in the International Criminal Court. Mm -hmm. And after that, that sort of like, you know, opened the door for me to work at the ICC. Between that time and the Nigerian consultancy that I mentioned, I had also worked with an NGO part-time based in London Mm -hmm. doing again, international human rights work in Africa, looking at issues of women's rights in Africa, the um, Maputo Protocol on the rights of women in Africa, and also media rights in Africa. So again, I was doing stuff that I loved. It wasn't necessarily paying, (laughs) right? Uh When I was doing the internships, no payment. Again, my, my very wonderful father very kindly funded that because, you know, a lot of these things don't exactly pay the way that one would hope. Right. or expect but it was something I really I felt passionate about I felt called to do mm-hmm. and so so I I did that and in a way I, I think looking back at my career you know I think I, it's easy for me to say oh I did this and I did this and that's how I got here I, right. I don't think that's necessarily true for anybody's career growth is not always linear in a way right that you do x you do y you will certainly get this result mm-hmm. sometimes things come to you in a way that the only word that can describe it is miraculous, right? Like, so, you know, even how I ended up getting my job at the World Bank, I had, I was working somewhere else. I was working at the International Court of Justice and I happened to meet the person who would eventually, two years later, employ me. Right. Um, So this is why I like to tell people that networking is important because I met him when I wasn't looking for a job. I was totally content in my job at that time. And so we just ended up growing and getting to know each other professionally. And then he was able to see, oh, you know, this is what she does, this is who she is. And when a vacancy came up, you know, he was able to mention that to me. So I like to let people know that it's not always as straightforward as, okay, you go to school, you apply for this job, you get it. Sometimes things don't happen quite the way you want it to, and sometimes things happen in a way that really just blows your mind. Yeah, I don't know if that fully answers your question. It, it does. I, I do understand that between the time you were you finished law school and was preparing for the New York bar, you also did some babysitting. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, again, back to hustler. Right. Hustler mentality, right? Uh-huh. So... <laughs> So between the time I was doing the New York bar, studying for the New York bar, um, and at the same time, I was working part-time with this NGO. And so in order to make ends meet, I was babysitting for, you know, really rich people who fly into London for maybe like a week. Right. And like stay at, you know, expensive hotels, leave their kids in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll babysit their kids while they went off shopping at Harrods and stuff like that. It oh, was wow. quite an experience. Right. <laughs> it really was. Good experience, and right? <laughs> it was and it just an experience. It kind of opened my eyes to the life of the rich or mm-hmm. some rich because, you know, not everyone's like that. But I also did telesales and um, I would make those phone calls that people hate and call people and try and renew their magazine subscriptions uh, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I mean, I have to say, like, people shouldn't discount the experiences that they have in their journey in life because no experience is useless. Everything works for your good, even if you don't know it. 
So I remember with the telesales position, I used to be super, super shy. I mean, in a way, I, I think I still am, but I used to be really, really shy. And I remember having to make calls when I was working with the NGO mm -hmm. to try and get grants. And those calls were so difficult for me to make because I'm like call, essentially calling to tell people about our project. Right. And it was so hard and people you know, did not have time for this girl who's like stammering and stuttering, <laughs> uh <-huh>. right? <laughs> and whose voice is shaking as she's calling to ask them for grants. Right. And so, but the telesales position, unbeknownst to me, ended up strengthening me because if you've ever done telesales, you will know that people will hang up on you without even caring about your feelings. Uh, it's true. <laughs> you don't even have to do it to know that you hang up on some people. <laughs> because you hang up on people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm like, I'm in a meeting. Can you call me back? They still want to stop. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because you're like, oh, hello. Am I speaking to Mr. Blah, blah, blah. I'm calling from, you know, Vogue. And we would like to renew your social Click. Right. Hello, my name is Jockey. I'm calling from Click. Wow. And I remember my first week and I would go home crying. I just felt so like it really affected my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. It was really, you know, awful. And I ended up having a group of friends in this place that we were working in, this telesales place. And we would encourage each other and be like, you know what, you can do it, you can do it. And so I would, you know, take on like different persona and act, you know, detach myself right. from the, the role to make these calls. Uh -huh. And uh, we, I remember there was a time when we would make these calls and when people, whenever people will hang up on us, we'll mm -hmm. hang up the phone and we mm -hmm. will sing a line from Christina Aguilera's Beautiful. Wow. You know, like, I am beautiful no matter what they say. Words can't bring me down. <laughs> and it was an affirmation. And in the end, I say that it was useful because in my work as an investigator, I had to do what? Interview a lot of people. Right. And so that really taught me to, to, to come out of myself and come out of my shell, mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, do those kinds of interviews with people from all walks of life, right, from victims right. and witnesses to experts, whatever it is, mm -hmm. being able to interview people from all walks of life, I really thank my time as a telesales agent, um, trying to renew people's Vogue subscriptions, I, you know, because that helped me, that really helped yeah. me come out of my shell. That's so true, because all experiences are transferable. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, did growing up in Nigeria and Tanzania, did it contribute to you being resilient and being where you are today? I definitely think so. I definitely think so. It certainly contributed to me having a global mindset and seeing myself as a global citizen mm -hmm. and, you know, certainly fueling my desire to live abroad and to travel a lot and experience different cultures and appreciate, so not just experience, but actually appreciate different cultures and people from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that, for that experience at a young age. Right. And how long have you been in the U.S. now? So I've been in the U.S. now since August 2012, so um, almost seven years. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because we, uh, we started at the World Bank at about the same time. I started in yes. September, and we were actually yes. in the same training. Yes, I yeah. remember. <laughs> I remember seeing you and then we were chatting after that and then I'll see you again at another training. I was like, oh, I'm not alone. There are many other people who are starting today. 
<laughs> this yeah, was, exactly. It was interesting. <laughs> wow. And I'm glad that, you know, we were able to connect and remain friends. Yes, me mm-hmm. too. You guys are doing such an amazing job with this diaspora, I have to say. Thank um, you. I listened to a couple of the episodes already and really it's it's amazing it's actually inspiring even though the people who are talking are not in my field of you know my my career but it's still inspiring to hear their stories and how they overcame certain challenges so yeah kudos to you guys for doing this thank you yeah the idea is to have people share their own stories you know success is defined by different people in different ways we want to be able to say that hey we are all successful so uh, yeah i know you play music and then uh, you do a lot of other stuff outside of work. What do you do for fun, apart from music and other stuff? Oh my gosh, um, nothing, Ben. Um, oh really? <laughs> no, because I mean the way music music is my my life. I don't think I can live without music, and wow. so I do it both. You know, in a I guess semi professional way with my acapella group, mm-hmm. but also for fun. I really truly love singing. I love. Um, I'm learning to play the guitar. I'm oh, a terrible nice. guitar student, but I'm working on it. But singing and writing music, you know, those are things that, you know, relax me. Those are things that I enjoy. It's such a deep expression of self that yeah. I, I, I truly love it. Aside from that, I love going to the theater and, and watching plays. And, you know, again, that connects back to my, my deep desire for when I was young. And I used to be in a lot of plays, actually, when I was younger and um, do different theater produ- uh, productions. And so, yeah, I love doing that. What else do I do for fun? Um, sing on the choir yes, in St. Augustine? Yes, so I sing in the choir in St. Augustine. Yes, yes. yes. So that's, that's the other thing. And we actually have choir practice today, you know? Oh, singing for the Lord. Um, uh, singing for the Lord. <laughs> I, I'm sorry I can't make it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, do you do you want me to out you on this thing and tell everybody how you were supposed to be in our group <laughs> and then you deserted us? Like, <laughs> I love music, but I don't think music loves me back. It loves you. You sang well. Oh, I don't know why you stopped you. coming. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good experience. I still have all those songs on my phone because we're recording them. And I remember yeah. after the, the song, I would say, hey, Joker, do you need a ride? You said no. I, I would run <laughs> home. Or I came with my shoes. And now I understand why, because you don't, you're always like running and, uh, you know, doing sports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like try walking. I mean, I haven't, I'm not as sporty and active as I used to be mm-hmm. and it's definitely something I want to truly get back into again like it's just wonderful to be able to feel physically you know healthy and, and able to do physically agile and do different kinds of things right. so yeah that's my goal for summer get back into it nice nice so when you look back uh, what advice would you give to your young self like high school primary school and university what advice would I give to my young self um I would say relax and don't worry so much because mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think I was always worried about, you know, what am I going to be? How will I do get there? How will I do it? You know, will it work out? And that just puts a lot of anxiety in your heart and mind. And so, you know, I, I, I would tell myself, relax, do your best always. Uh-huh. And then as and have faith, yeah, and leave the rest to God. Like, trust the process, trust the process. And, I mean, looking back now, I, like I said, we're all here for a reason, right? And so, mm-hmm. looking back, I would say, if only I knew that, 
that listen, my purpose is earmarked, it's clear, then I think that would have made my journey a little bit more enjoyable. I don't know if necessarily my journey would have changed, right? But Mm -hmm. it would have made it more enjoyable. So all the moments of anxiety and fears and and worry, you know, will this happen? Will I get this or not? Like, I, I think I wouldn't have had all of that if only I just trusted that listen, I'm not going anywhere until I've accomplished my purpose on this earth. Right. And, you know, to trust that, you know, God is with me. I, I'm, a, I'm a woman of faith. I believe in God. Um, but even if one doesn't believe in God, again, we're not here by accident. Nobody is on this earth by accident. So if you believe that in the powers of the universe, again, trust that the universe is working with you. Um, I have a coach who's so amazing, and she taught me that, to, to basically repeat to myself that the universe conspires with me, right. not against me. And it, it really shook me because for whatever reason, I was walking around this earth thinking that the universe conspired against me. <laughs> right? Like, so it's like, I'm applying for things. I'm not getting jobs that I want. Oh, something is trying to stop me from getting what I want. The universe does not help. Like, no, no, no. Have faith, have faith that once you put your intention out there, the universe conspires with you, the forces conspire with you That's for you to, you know, to, to get where, where you are and to make an impact for your good and the good of the whole. And so, so I think I, that's what I would tell my younger self. And that's what I would share with others who are starting out in their careers. You know, first of all, keep pursuing what you love. It may be hard. It may be difficult. If you have to have a detour in your road, don't worry about it. Because again, you're here for a purpose. The detour will eventually lead you back to the main road. And then relax and trust the journey, trust the process, cast your net wide, network with ease and faith, mm-hmm. and just trust that you will land on your feet. Right. And be willing to put in the work too. Exactly. Be willing to put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. Like you don't want to, you know, like get where it is you want to get, but then you haven't prepared, right? So right. It's, it's important to prepare as though what you want is going to materialize tomorrow. And it's not, it's, not, it's not easy because that's even something even to this day I still have to work on. But I think that is extremely important. Like if you're applying for something, if you want to be the next, I don't know, UN Secretary General, there's nothing stopping you. You can do it. Have right. faith and trust in yourself. But prepare, right? Like you don't want to get there or get to a situation where someone is about to appoint you to something and they ask you and you're like, oh, I actually don't have that. Or, oh, I actually don't know that. Like, no, prepare yourself for where you, where you want to go. Perfect. That's so true. That's so true. And then I really, I really appreciate you sharing that because, you know, you never really know. You just have to keep working hard and have faith and know that, you know, you will learn to the right place. Yep. Right. Absolutely. I just also wanted to ask, how, how do you define success? Ooh, wow. Like, what, how do you feel? Like, do you feel today that where you are, uh, you have reached some level of success? What do you define as being a successful person? For me, especially now at this point in my life, I definitely see success defined in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think growing up, again, because you're looking at it in a linear way, right? Like, right. I, do, I do this. So success was sort of defined in the way of I've landed a quote-unquote good job, right? Mm-hmm. I can pay my rent. I can buy a house maybe or whatever. I can take care of my family. That was the def- definition of success at that point. For me now, though, I feel like success is if I'm able to impart some wisdom, knowledge, or support right. to 
another person to also be successful. And because um, I, I don't think I'm here again just for myself, right? Oh, Jocket's here to be rich. And then she dies. Like, no, that's not <laughs> yeah. the story of her life, right? Uh-huh. So I feel like it's important to be able to help somebody else also, in whatever way, also be able to realize their true potential and, and be the best that they can. So if I'm able to do that in whatever way for someone, for me, that's success. And, and I think also, I'm also trying to define success in a way of being successful in each moment and in each day. Mm-hmm. And what does a successful day look like? Right, right. right? What, what is it? What have I accomplished in that day? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the, the idea of success could really just be, you know, that day I did some self-care and I took care of myself. And, right. and I, you know, spent some time with family and friends. And for me, that's success because... We are more than our careers. And I think that's another important message to, to put out there. We are absolutely more than our careers. Mm-hmm. We are you know, multifaceted individuals with many different talents. And the great disadvantage to ourselves and to the world is if we focus all our energy, all our minds, all our hearts, all our souls on just our jobs. Mm-hmm. That is not the definition of success. You know, I've often told people that for me, you know, by the grace of God, I will die at a very old age in the comfort of my bed. Amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) But I don't think that when I'm dying, what is going to be on my mind is whether I did a great memo, Mm -hmm. whether the judges liked my memo or whether, you know, whether, you know, I did a good job at my work. No, no. I think I will be thinking about my family. I'll be thinking about what was the wider impact on my life. Mm-hmm. And so if you have that kind of mindset, then you will begin to see that success is not defined by your career alone, but by the lives that you influence, by the lives that you're able to make better in whatever way possible. Okay. And so, yeah, for me, that's success. That's so true. And then being at the World Bank, does it also contribute to you? seeing yourself as uh, successful and uh, what do you do in your work? Um, I think certainly some people would look at me at the World Bank and say that I'm successful, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't discount that and I'm very grateful for my job. I'm very grateful for where I am and, and how it's, it's a very important position for me right now, what I'm doing at the bank. And I, I think it's a wonderful addition to my career. Absolutely. Right. So it's just, but it, at the same time, like I, from everything I've said, it's just one aspect of who I am. Mm-hmm. And certainly then just one aspect of whether or not I'm successful from my mindset. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what I do, I work with the bank's tribunal and we deal with cases between the bank and staff members. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting because it's a different kind of International law is a subset of international law that we call international administrative law Mm -hmm. because the World Bank and these international organizations have immunity. As a staff member, if you have any challenges, you are not really able to go to a local court Mm -hmm. to sue the bank, right? right? And so because at the end of the day, you're a human being and you have an inherent right to justice, the bank has to create an independent mechanism for you to be able to have access to justice. And so there's an internal justice system within the bank, mm-hmm. and the tribunal is the very end of it. We like to joke and call ourselves the Supreme Court of the bank. Right. So, so we then deal with those cases. There are judges who deal with that, and I work with the judges. Okay, that's so cool. 
And uh, any advice on other young lawyers who would like to know more about international administrative law? Yeah, um, absolutely. I would say, so if they're in, in college at the moment to doing their, their LLM or JD, I would say look it up. You know, there are different, um, it's also called international civil service law, for example, mm -hmm. international employment law, perhaps sometimes that's called, it's called like that. Um, you can certainly, you know, look it up. There are different tribunals. So if that's an area that one wants to go into, there's the World Bank Administrative Tribunal. There's also the Tribunal for the International Monetary Fund. There's a tribunal for the UN. So there's so many different tribunals out there that, you know, these international organizations have created. And so you can definitely look that up. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Joe. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to add? Before we wrap nothing. Up? Yeah, nothing at this moment. Again, thank you so much for inviting me to share my story. I certainly hope it's useful for someone um, out there who's listening to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. We're ending with this song from Joke. It's called Damase from her album Ade Joke. Please enjoy. We don't make this work and we don't give up. What they want to say Stop my love for you. Say, 